It's Tuesday, March 12th, 2019, and you're listening to The Nate Stack, an esports podcast exploring news and events across competitive shooters, hosted by players for players. I'm your host, Jacob Haterade Bailey, joined as always by Christian Soupdale. Today, we are going to be talking in depth about the champion stage that happened at IAM Katowice 2019. Big shout out and congrats to Astralis for taking down their third major tournament as a lineup. A couple different players here and there, but the core has t- lifted their third trophy, second in a row uh, at this point. So huge congrats to them. Before we hop into the champion stage and the matches that went down there, especially the surprise that Ince made, making it all the way to the finals against Astralis, we're going to hop through a lot of news this week. If you listened to us last week, you'll note that we had recorded that episode a little bit early because of traveling stipulations, and so we have a lot to get through. Following the IEM Kedavice Major, Cloud9 decided that they don't want to play this game anymore. Not really. But we have a lot of exits and a lot of roster shifts within the single lineup. First off, Flusha is now exiting the Cloud9 team, and Golden is coming back from his extended break uh, for health reasons, joining alongside uh, the lineup again. Christian, what do you got to say about that? Um, I, I was actually kind of surprised about this in some ways, you know, they they got pretty far into the you know the major they didn't get to the playoffs but they did it they had a decent run but i just really was not expecting flush to leave he looked so comfortable he looked like he had a really good synergy with the rest of the team i don't know i just i thought he was kind of there to stay and gonna make you know big changes for cloud nine so it's kind of disappointing to see this change nothing against golden because i think he's a great player too i love seeing him back on the roster but just the sudden departure of Flusha is kind of disappointing to see. Yeah, I, I, you know, hats off to Flusha. He's given us good reason for his departure. Yeah, of um, course. He's just basically, if you guys are listening to this and you don't follow Flusha, I would highly suggest going and uh, just searching through his Twitter profile. He put a big post on there about how he's just kind of tired right now. He's experiencing some burnout. Uh, from what it seems, and he's just, he just wants to take a break to regather himself and to just sort of find his form again and stop, you know, bouncing from competition to competition. He wants to enjoy uh, his playing right now and just sort of just take a break. And then Golden uh, coming in to fill his place was off because of some medical issues. I know it. Seems that he had a problem, Golden, with his chest and with his heart, and he wasn't uh, taking very care- good care of himself. Uh, per his own words, he wasn't he wasn't mindful about his health. On top of being a professional Counter Strike player, and so he he took some time off and just recovered and tried to build himself back up to where he needed to be to be competitive again. And so now he's he's back on the roster. Uh, playing with Cloud9 in Flush's place. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm glad he, you know, got through any of the issues there. He has a pretty lengthy, you know, kind of report about everything that went uh, went went down 
revolving around, you know, his health and returning. And I like the quote he gives at the end, uh, and to all the gamers out there, take care of your body. You only got one. That's yeah. you know, some good advice there. It's true. We should all definitely put forth an effort to take care of ourselves as people who play games a lot. You know, it's really, you know, you're sitting there a lot. So it's always good to do what you can to eat right and exercise every so often to stay in fit and just, you know, keep your body healthy, like you said. Yeah, definitely. You know, health is an important factor, especially for us gamers. You know, it's we're not playing basketball or football or anything like that. We, you know, we have esports, and so we have to supplement that uh, physical activity and make sure we're healthy and active uh, outside of the game. Yep. Furthermore, with Cloud9, Zelsus being removed from the roster, uh, Zelsus parting ways with the organization. It is unclear to me whether he left on his own accord or if he was let go by the organization. Yeah, I'm not sure. But regardless, it in reading this article that we'll have linked down in the description below, they note that his kill differential and his player rating while at the major was kind of lower than what they wanted it to be. Yeah, I see. And the thing to me is, isn't this Zelsus's first major? I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty sure this is even like the first time he's been on like a higher tier lineup. Yeah. So I know he was playing with swag before, before this on the X swole patrol lineup or, or somewhere along the lines, but he wasn't on a big stage like at a high pressing tournament like this before. No, I, I thought he had a great performance. Well, I, thought I was going to say, given, I, I, given the circumstances, exactly. Given the circumstances, I think that he did what he was supposed to do. You <clears throat> yeah. know, like you can't expect a new player, a, a young player, a a rookie to come in and just perform like a seasoned pro you know right and again like i thought he did and he wasn't on this cloud nine up roster for that long so again we talked about several times over the past couple episodes you know the difference that takes place for you as a player when you're playing with the same teammates you know you learn from each other you learn how to play with each other and being fresh on this c9 lineup first time completing competing in a major um and you know now competing on higher tier of cs it's I, I gotta give him props. He did really good. And they, as we said, they noted his rating was 0.86 and having a negative 25 kill death, kill death differential. Again, everything we just said, that's nothing to shake a stick at. You know, he should be proud of what he accomplished while he was there. I thought he was a great fit on C9. I thought so too. And, you know, it, this goes back to, we've talked about like the problem with player shuffles and, you know, constant disbandment and players leaving or being let go just to shake up the lineups of certain teams. It's not healthy. Yeah. And I think Zelsus has just fallen victim to that toxic, I'm just going to call it toxic mentality of esports, where it's like if one player is not performing, then you just dump them instead of, you know, trying to help them grow. It's like, how are yeah. you ever supposed to create a star lineup if you don't work at you know, it? Yeah, iron sharpens iron. And so it's like you're never going to be able to reach a top level 
if you don't have a team that's consistent and you learn how to play off each other. It's true. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I totally agree. I would agree. I'd call it somewhat of a toxic yeah, environment where that comes about. And we've seen it a lot in Call of Duty. And if you haven't looked ahead on the news this week, Jacob, it is bad this week in Call of Duty. And we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, it, it, I've took a, you know, it, it's it's just a, a mess. Yeah. So we'll all, get to that. All sources. So yeah. But yeah, so it's disappointing to see Zelsus leaving C9. Uh, wishing him the best of luck wherever he goes from here on out. And I don't know if it mentions uh, who's replacing Zelsus on C9. So no. it appears they're down a man as of now. They are currently down a man. All right. Well, moving on, other teams, new teams even, Norwegian CSGO lineup is in the works, headed by Rubino. Yeah, that's exciting. I always liked seeing Rubino play. Um, so I'm just glad that he's getting some type of org together to play with because I miss watching him play. So it's going to be pretty hype overall. Yeah, I think so. I think that th- this sort of reminds me of the whole fanatic, the old fanatic players like Pronax and stuff trying to get uh, uh a team back together yeah, a little bit differently. You know, we have all these star players who want to be on teams, but they just can never find that, that fit. Yeah. And like I, you know, Rubino is on Dignitas for a while. And I actually liked that lineup. I liked watching that Dignitas lineup with him on there. I think they, you know, didn't do anything super spectacular, but they were always a name that you saw come up again and again in different tournaments. So I, I really liked the people on that team and I'm glad he has found something after that. Yeah, agreed. It, it, this sort of reminds me of Entz, who we'll, who we're going to talk about soon. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you just find players that are good from your same region. Yeah, you, you know, you make you ha- you sp- all speak the same language. You all have played with each other at least a little bit, and you can sort of pick roles for everybody to play. I don't know. It just seems like that's becoming more and more of a easier thing to do because I think we saw it with uh, LDLC as well. They sort of, they've came back and we now have like another French lineup yeah, to look at. And I don't know. It just seems like that's the way that we should be doing it. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes from about this, you get your, you know, the orgs that you make and set up that aren't aggressive with their trading and things like that. Like we've talked about, like ever since, you know, the Astralis lineup less left, TSM and they formed Astralis, you know, they can pretty much operate however they want. And that's, you know, a huge plus when it comes to not having your org constantly kicking people here left and right. So I think this could be another one of those things that uh, with this lineup, they won't have to worry about losing a, a player every month. Yeah. So we'll have to see what this lineup does. Uh, I will note that Tenski is Danish and not Norwegian, but, yeah, you know, same region. You know, not too big of a, not too big of a, a geographical dis, uh, ch- difference. Excuse me. And then ratif- ratification. I almost said ratification. That is not correct. Ratification uh, was on a lineup with Michael Lele recently. So okay, th- these cool. players have had experience alongside of other professional players and such. So I'm excited to see where Rubino and Chroman can take this team. Yep, so that lineup is Rubino, Croman, Halzerk, 
Tenski and Ratification going into this majority Norwegian lineup. And they're looking for an organization. We'll see if anybody picks them up and what they can do to the CS scene. Moving on to Mouse Sports, it looks like we have two new CS players to join Kerrigan in a rebuilt team. Uh, it looks like Mouse Sports is going through a major roster overhaul with three new players uh, coming onto the lineup and reinstating Chris J to the starting lineup. Yeah, that was kind of weird how it's just like, yeah, Chris J and Stika, you're gone. Uh, actually, Chris J, you're not gone. Like, that was weird. I don't know why they did that. Yeah. I uh, I don't quite exactly know what to say about it. Yeah. It's just kind of... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Again, that just is an example of how these orgs can just do what they want with these players. It's just like... We're going to bench you guys, and you're not going to play. Uh, well, we actually do want you to play. Come back, Chris J, but not you, Stiko. Like, it's just so – they're just uh, – I, I don't know. They just can't make up their minds. Yeah, it's just really frustrating sometimes. I can imagine it would be frustrating for the players. I would be annoyed if I were in that kind of scenario. It's just uh, – well, anyway, I, I'm glad that Kerrigan has found a home, you know, after that uh, leaving – NV and then NV is looking to pick him up officially. I suppose that didn't go through because here he is on Mouse Sports. So I'm really happy. I think he can really mold this team into something greater than they are already. Yeah, just some other sort of Mouse Sports uh, info. Like this lineup, this lineup does not include Sunny. So I know right. when we first talked about Chris J and, and Stiko leaving the team, I think I had noted that Sunny is going to be the star player on this team. Well, I'm going to put my foot into my mouth because he's no he's longer there. going to be on the team and he's yeah. looking to join cloud nine. And so <laughs> we, we just have this, like, it reminds me of just throwing like a bunch of balls into a basket and just kind of like shaking them up or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you just put every player on the wall, close your eyes and each dart is labeled with yeah, a team and you throw exactly. it and whatever it hits them, that's the team they're on. That's a better analogy than what I was saying, but that's exactly, that's exactly what you're doing. It's like, well, gee whiz. I just don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I will say again with Kerrigan, I'm glad he's there because Rops is an awesome young star and to have the mentoring of Kerrigan alongside him, I think that's just going to yeah. elevate him to the next level. I think so too. Now, this is all like circumspect. We don't have any like officials on this yet, but if if the rumors and reports are one hundred percent factual, then the new Mouse Sports lineup will consist of Rops, Chris J, Waxic, Frozen, and Kerrigan. I think I've heard Waxic's. Is Waxing was previously on the lineup, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't recognize Frozen. I, I believe. I don't recognize the name Frozen. I don't know if he's been. No, on no, he prior. was on Hellraisers. Waxing was on Hellraisers. I thought. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. Yep. And then Frozen is from No Chance. I'm pretty sure, actually. Yeah, which was the team that Michael Ele was on. Yeah. Where... Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So we just... <laughs> it's like a love triangle almost. Yeah, it's man. Like... These people go here and these people go here. And it's like you just you just literally 
toss them back and forth to each other. It's like, well, this didn't work, so let's try getting this guy. Well, that didn't work. Let's just try getting this guy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is this mouse sports lineup is not going to be the same lineup we have seen. You know, the last lineup was pretty high in, you know, the HLTV rankings, but despite that, they did not get into the major and such have dropped. So hopefully with this completely fresh new roster, uh, Kerrigan leading it, as I'm assuming will be in-game leader, you know, maybe they can do something great and get themselves back up there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Mouse Sports and what they can do. If this lineup actually turns out to be legit, you know, we have some we have some interesting names that I don't think I've ever seen on the same lineup. Yeah, with that's the exception true. of Chris J and Rops, obviously. Right. Cool. That rounds it up for our Counter Strike news and events that are happening. Moving on to Siege, we have a new league that is being released in Rainbow Six called the Collegiate Rainbow Six League. Uh, which is just a competitive uh, siege league for students in college. I think this is one of those things that's really awesome and all esports should consider having a league for. I, I just think it's such a cool and healthy thing for them to promote and invest into a collegiate league for whatever game they're developing or, you know, creating a league for. So I think this is just one of those things where, you know, we talked about having the city-based franchises. I think this is another one of those definite things that all should have where they allow college students to step in there, get teams together, and play some really cool esports. Yeah, I think so too. It's one of those things that it's still very much on the back burner or maybe not even thought about at the collegiate level. You know, like yeah. we have we have sports teams and such, but not all schools even have some sports teams. Um, some of your bigger schools obviously have most, if not all of them, but you know, there are some universities that don't have a team of a particular sport. And so I think this is just one of those things that it's going to take some time for this to really take off. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the next step for, yeah. for esports because then I, I can picture it sort of being, in the future at some point being like what we see in the NFL or in the NBA, we have the draft. Yeah. And oh so, yeah, that's true. And so like, if you become big enough now, this, this is obviously contingent on teams, not just dumping players. Yeah. Right. Every six months. Again, that's why the, the city franchised, I think is just another direct, you know, the step in the right direction. Cause it, yeah. you know, allows for this to succeed. I agree. This and this yeah go ahead. I was just gonna say, and it's not like you can only have one team, right? Yeah, for sure. In my opinion, you can have like Atlanta Red and Atlanta Blue or something like that. Yeah, I mean, or, like you look at the NFL, and there's like three Florida teams. Yeah, three New York teams. Exactly. So it's like I don't I don't think like oh it's only five v five. Like how would you recruit that? Well, no, you just have multiple teams in the same region. It's not that big a deal. Right, yeah, of course. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad about this. This is um, moving into its second season. So, the first season was relatively successful. But, as we said, new season is on the horizon. Uh, it looks to be that the Collegiate R6 League will, this uh, season, include 91 teams in their Division 1 category and another 40 in their Division 2 category, which is really awesome. That's a lot of teams. That's a lot of teams. Yeah, it's super cool. And... The last uh, season, they um, 
did a seven week Swiss bracket and then eventually had playoffs. And then they got down to um, 32 teams for the grand finals. So I really like how they did that. I'm assuming it'll be a longer than a seven week Swiss bracket this time around, maybe 10 to 11 weeks somewhere in there. Now there's a lot more teams, Mm -hmm. but overall, I mean, they had a good success in the first season and it's only growing and getting better. It seems uh, going into the second season. Well, excellent. Very excited to see what uh, our collegiate level teams and such can do to the scene. And maybe, maybe those college teams can just get picked up by an entire organization and we might find them in pro league one day or at an invitational. Absolutely. Moving on to roster changes within siege. It looks like Fonkers has joined team secret for the remainder of season nine, replacing lackey uh, who is, previously on the roster. I'm happy about this lineup because I think Fonkers, to be honest, he just, he, he was, you remember how Nico was on mouse sports before they were really good. Yeah. That's kind of like what he is. He's this really great player that he just, he feels like he's being held down by his teammates a bit. So, you know, I'm just so glad to see him get to a different team because um, on his last lineup, it just, there was you know, that we'd see some stats here playing against team empire. His whole team was, you know, in the, in the yellow or red in the rating, he's the only player in the green against team empire. That's a good team to be up against. And you're still performing well, despite your teammates ability. Like I just think he deserves a better home for his skill. Well, so that, that begs the question you brought up Nico. And it's like, to me, I still think Nico is, one of the best in the game, Mm -hmm. but I feel like being put onto phase clan for him was actually more of a detriment because he's not putting up the same numbers as he used to. Well, it's because his teammates are actually getting kills. I suppose. Cause if you, if it's like you and you're a beast and then you have four other people who don't can't hit a shot, your numbers are going to be higher. Whereas Nico's, I mean, Nico is still, I think fifth, last year in the top 20 players. Yeah. So he's still absolutely one of the best players. I just don't think it displays as much as it used to. He's sure. not next to the next guy in the room doesn't have 12 frags or something. Sure. So generally so, speaking, I'm glad that uh, Fonkers is going to be moving to team secret. Yeah. So he, he's, he's getting the chance to play with people that would be more aiding if that's even a correct phrase, uh, to his his current skill level, yeah, and to his current play style. So, yeah, I think that you know, whenever you can move up and improve, it's obviously something you want to do. And Funkers is doing just that. Absolutely. Finally, in what many siege analysts are calling the one of the largest deals in Rainbow Six history, Navi or Nadis Vincere, as we've known them. In other games, such as Counter-Strike and uh, some of the MOBAs, has acquired the roster of Mocket Esports. First impressions on this, uh, just without reading too much into it, we know that Na'Vi is a big organization already, and now they're dipping their toes into Rainbow Six. What What does this mean for the scene? I mean, Na'Vi is a strong org, no matter what like any game any esport they get into it seems like you know we know their counter-strike team is very talented they know we know they're talented across other various games so 
for them just to show up, buy out a team and say, Hey, we're locked and loaded to play rainbow six. Like they said, like, I think they know what they're doing going into this. I think they have a lot. So here's the thing. Navi, they have a lot of ability, like capital behind them in order to get into the scene. And so I think that they have the ability and they were just lacking the team in order to dip their toes in. You know what I mean? Because Navi was already in CS, obviously. Mm -hmm. They're also in Dota and they also have rosters in our battle Royales, our popular battle Royales right now. And then some other games as well, but they never, they never really dipped into rainbow six. And I think that's rainbow six. Now this might be biased, but I think it's one of the fastest growing esports. I would of, say so. of our of our current day, quickly gaining in popularity, both in viewership and in just actual player base. And so, I think Navi is making a very business strategic move. Yeah, they, they the game is alive and it's growing, like you said. And you know, Ubisoft has not shown any sign of slowing down with siege and i think nobby's like well yeah let's get in on this yeah and i think i mean shoot i think they're coming in at a very at a very good time yeah i think right off you know the major happening it's just now's a good time to jump in and they're they picked up a team that's actually worth their weight you know it's not like it's not like they have just a a premier team or anything like that. They picked up one of the best in Mocket, I believe. Um, yeah, I think Mocket's up there. I don't know if they're one of the best per se. I'm pretty sure they got knocked out really early in the um, major. I don't know if it was just they weren't feeling it or what have you. I think they're some sitting somewhere in the middle of the belt when it comes to their standing in the pro league in the EU region. So either way, I think Navi wanted a team to work with. You know what I mean? I I feel like even with their CS lineup, they've had changes here and there, but they're not like we talked about other teams that just kick players off left and right. They they really seem to commit to the players they have. Well, I think that the lineup that they got has one of the higher skill ceilings in the game. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And... You know, they're picking a team, you know, let's not let's not count out Mocket here. They've they're a pro league contender pretty consistently. And we saw them at the last invitational, even if they didn't perform as well as we think they should have mm-hmm. or wanted them to, they were still there at the tournament. That's so a it's fair not, point. It's not like Navi picked a team that has never qualified. Right, right, you know, right. Or tried to qualify and always gets cut short. They were there. So I think that speaks in and of itself. Um, to how Navi wants to dip their toes in this. You know, they could have just went big and bought, you know, one of our top NA teams or G2 or one of the Brazilian powerhouses, but they chose Mocket. And, you know, I th- I think there's something to that. They're, they picked a team that they can grow with in the, in the scene. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to see exactly how Navi changes the lineup, if at all, what they bring to the table, how they support their players, and basically what Mocket, the ex Mocket lineup, 
of KS, Rips, Corey, Crine, and Lazo, how they take advantage of it. Yep, it's going to be pretty crazy to see, you know, Navi, such a big name popping up in Siege. Again, we talked about last week how there's sometimes, or two weeks ago, there's some history to the names we see, especially in Counter-Strikes, and seeing Navi in Siege, you know, my expectations are going to be set high. Ditto. That's all I got to say about that. We'll see what the lineup does and how Navi get into the pro Siege scene. Moving on to Call of Duty news for this week. We are getting closer and closer to CWL Fort Worth. So we're down our first two weeks of the uh, Call of Duty World League um, divisional matches. And we'll be moving in to Fort Worth. I believe that kicks off next week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or the, maybe the end of this week, actually. I believe it's the end of this week. So that's pretty exciting. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. But yeah, the polls... March 15th for clarification. Right. Okay. So that's is that this Friday it kicks off then? Or... Uh, yes. Okay. Awesome. So kicking off this Friday, Fort Worth, we did get our pools that were announced. So pool A is Gen G, Team Heretics, UIU, and Denial Esports. Pool B, 100 Thieves, Red Reserve, Enigma 6, Evil Geniuses. Pool C, Midnight Esports, Splice, Luminosity, and Accelerate Gaming. And Pool D, E United, Optic Gaming, Team Envy, and Team Reciprocity. So some of these pools are actually nuts. Do you have anything to comment on those, Jacob? Uh, yeah, I they're just very good. Yeah. Um, Call of Duty is one of those games where it just seems like it's anybody's ball game. Um, at least when I look at this, these pools, it's like, I think I could pick three teams out of each of them that could probably more, well, more than probably go on. And yeah. so it's like, there's not one that I necessarily want to choose out of each group. Right, for sure. So before we, you know, any more further discussion on the pools, uh, after the first two weeks of the divisions matches, uh, Division A, as a reminder, currently sits at Gen G at first at six and one, Midnight at second at five and two, Optic third, four and three, and the X Red Reserve lineup at four and three. Division B just ended this past week um, with a hundred thieves in first at five and two, E United in second at five and two, Heretics third at five and two, and Splice four and three in fourth. I'm actually really pumped that hundred thieves is number one in their division right now. Yeah, I think they're I think they're just one of the best. I mean they're they're headed by Nadeshot, who's mm-hmm. been in the scene, the Call of Duty scene for I mean, forever. Yeah. And I think that he only wants the best and I think we have the best in 100 Thieves personally you know I, I had been following them since their inception and it's it's no surprise to me that they're performing at this level yep I think yeah I think uh, Pool D and Pool B are actually pretty insane right now E United and Optic and Team yeah, NB yeah. all in the same pool is kind of bonkers and then Evil oh, don't count on reciprocity. They have a that's good true. You're, yeah, you're right. I mean that. Okay, yeah, that pool's actually insane. Pool D. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's. I'm, wow. Okay, I'm really excited for this Fort Worth. Um, yeah, Fort Worth kicking off March 15th. Everyone, definitely tune into that. It's going to be an awesome, awesome tournament. So get pumped for that. 
Moving on to our March 1st update for Black Ops 4, we have some more big changes, it seems like. Uh, out to out as of the beginning of the month, we have some tuning to some weapons, some nerfs, as it were, and quite a number of other things. Christian, you want to take us through some of the bigger changes, some of the things that we might see uh, at Fort Worth that are going to affect the meta? Yeah, so the first thing is the SOG uh, 9mm. They, the, the SMG class couldn't really t- beat assault rifles in competitive play. It just had a hard time. So to counteract that, they've increased the um, ADS move speed when using the stock attachment. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the first change for the SOG millimeter. And then they've also done a similar change with um, Seraph's Annihilator. They thought it was just too insane. Like it mm-hmm. just actually demolished teams. So they're working on a balance for that. Um, it appears they are going to be nerfing the uh, fire rate of the Annihilator, to my understanding. Some pretty interesting changes. It, it, you know, was the Annihilator just next up on the gentleman's agreement list? Uh, yeah, that's a f- yeah. Um, probably <laughs> if I'm being honest, I could absolutely see that next week. We just talk about it. Uh, yeah, she, uh, the annihilator's gone. <laughs> you mean, you never know exactly what's going to be on the list and, you know, it's just, it's interesting, but to just go through a, a real quick list of the things to look out for at Fort Worth coming this weekend, Christian's already already noted that the the SOG and the Annihilator have been changed ahead of the tournament. And let's note that the build that they're going to be playing this weekend is this updated build. Yeah, so it's not it's not like they're working with the old one from before. Yeah, for yeah, you're right. So that's pretty interesting. And then I'm actually going to go ahead and tack on our next set of news, and that's the rule set changes they made that are also going to be affecting uh, Fort Worth and any upcoming CWL matches. And Mm -hmm. that is zero is no longer banned. So that's pretty awesome. We have a new specialist coming in. Who knows what that's going to mean for competitive play. Um, I'm just really pumped because anytime, you know, uh, Siege is great when we have a new operator finally come out and it's Mm -hmm. even better when it sees, you know, the ESL league in competitive play. So having that take place, I, I think that's super hype to see like her uh, ice pick ability and the EMP and all that show up and possibly wreak some havoc on you know opposing team equipment. Yeah, it's one of those things that I'm not I'm not sure. It, it seems a little soon, to be yeah, honest. It does, but it does seem a little early, but it's been like four months or so since she came out. Yeah, it's not it's not early. It's just they they I figured they would have made the announcement probably a month before the event. That's true. Not, not a week, right? Yeah, not two weeks. That, yeah, that's so it's like I guess timing. It just depends on what you're really trying to do on what you're really trying to accomplish. And well, it looks like we want to see zero. So we might see zero this weekend at Fort Worth. Yep, and the other rule changes uh, that we can see in the CWL and Fort Worth coming up is the Drone Squad, Sniper's Nest, and Strike Team score streaks are now restricted. So uh, we will not be seeing those score streaks show up in Fort Worth or any following matches. 
Uh, that's just we talked about it in our last episode that the AI res- controlled score streaks just being on the gentleman's agreement. Mm-hmm. They've officially just came out. The Call of Duty World League has announced that they're just not going to be played. You know, we're going to honor like the actual organization is going to honor the World League is honoring the player's decision to not use these score streaks. So that's that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of an interesting precedent. You know, it's as if that's kind of like this. This doesn't really compare, but it kind of does. But that's as if ESL came out ahead of a major and, and said, you know, don't don't use this tactic or don't like the smoke glitch. Don't use the smoke glitch before Valve fixed it or whatever. You know, if Valve wasn't quick to fix it and one of our tournament organizers didn't say anything about it, you could just use it. Now it's a matter of is it is it appropriate to use it or whatever? But point is is it seems that at least in the Call of Duty scene that people respect when things are not balanced and yeah. they want to make changes. Yeah, even as far as, you know, official league organizers decide and agree with it and make it, um, you know, a a agreed upon confirmed this is no longer allowed um, weapon or score streak or specialist or what have you. Definitely. So ahead again, ahead of the Fort Worth tournament for Call of Duty, we have a team change in reciprocity. Looks like we have an addition. Yep, it seems they are signing uh, Dylan to join, and that's that's Dylan Henderson, but he just simply goes by Dylan as his professional uh, name. So he will be joining the reciprocity lineup, which is kind of interesting. You know, right before uh, Fort Worth, you know, make a change like that. You know, I think it'll be all right. I don't know too much about Dylan playing um, or his play style. But I think Reciprocity knows what they're doing when it comes to just if they're going to make that change before Fort Worth. Yeah. So that'll be exciting to see how he plays along with the lineup going into the tournament. Yeah, and he's young too. Yeah, he is. He's uh, 19, I believe he is. So he's he's coming into the, the pro scene pretty early. Mm-hmm. And he's running with one of the best. It's so. true. Rest, and, and the, you know, reciprocity is having their struggles this uh, season so far. So maybe this is, you know, a strategic play, you know, get some new talent in here, get some fresh eyes on what's happening. They're currently sitting at two and five in their division. So they need a little bit of help to get back up, um, you know, in their standings among the division. We'll have to see if he can hold his own. We'll see. Finally, it looks like. Attach from FaZe Clan joins a new Pro League team ahead of Fort Worth. A lot of stuff happening right before the tournament, and that team is Evil Geniuses. Yep, again, um, I think this is just similar to Dylan, how they're just picking up someone right before it goes down at Fort Worth. Um, you know, I believe he was previously on FaZe, is that correct? I, I believe he was on FaZe prior to this, so that's... Yeah, and it, yeah, that's kind of an interesting. It, well, it should be noted he's still on phase. He's currently on loan. Right. Okay. Uh, in the same in the same sort of fashion, how Kerrigan was on loan to Envy. Okay. Or, uh, I see. Counter Strike. 
So I guess this is just a temporary thing. Uh, do we know if the fifth player from Evil Geniuses is standing out for any particular reason and why that the loan why the loan is happening, or do we not have any information on that? I don't see anything. It's it's unclear to me. Okay, so we're not sure if this is strictly a, you know, we want a strong, I mean, FaZe is some of the best players, no doubt. So picking up someone like Attach is a huge deal for a team, even just for the weekend at Fort Worth, that, you know, that could be a big difference. So we'll see how that happens. But again, not positive why the fifth player will not be uh, playing during the time. Regardless, we'll we'll have to see how he performs along this Evil Geniuses lineup, see if he can finish off the season strong under their banner while he is on loan to e to EG. Yep. So the last thing we're going to go through really quickly with Call of Duty is, again, we were talking about the toxicity that comes with constantly swapping teams and players. And it's honestly astounding what has just happened right before Fort Worth. And I was actually looking into this, Jacob. I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on it real quick before I list off the changes. There were two teams, I believe it was UIU and Accelerate. I, I, I'm not sure, but I'm fairly certain it was those two teams. They actually tried to sell their spot in the Pro League. Like literally offered it up for some X amount of money starting at like $150,000 to... I I'm not sure exactly how it works, but to either take up their spot in it and replace their org or just simply get that lineup. I'm not sure, but they're literally trying to sell their spot in the pro league. Well, so the thing that first comes to my mind is why. Um, I, yeah, I guess money. I, they were both teams were unable to sell. So, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's not like who who are you selling it to if you're trying to sell your spot just to regular people? Like, you know, regular players? Yeah, I have no idea. It's just it's kind of just ridiculous when I read that article that they were trying to literally sell their position in the league. So, I don't know. And so again, this is right before Fort Worth. There has been ridiculous amounts of changes to teams and we're not going to go through and explain all of them and because it's just unbelievable so the teams that were directly affected are uiu midnight genji accelerate and i'm going to go through these changes really quickly on march 1st dens became a sub on reciprocity and was replaced by dylan who was a free agent robbie b pro freezy believe m ruins and bz have all become free agents and have been removed from the Accelerate Gaming lineup. The entire Accelerate Gaming lineup is just, or they're gone now. Accelerate does not have a lineup. Space uh, Space Ly uh, was on Gen G and he is now a free agent with restrictions. Not sure those restrictions, but that is, again, he's restricted free agent. Uh, Envoy has been as rumored to be leaving Midnight Esports and going to Gen G to replace uh, Spacely. On March 7th, Skies went from UIU to a free agent. Smooth went from UIU to a free agent. And Parzelian went from Midnight Esports to UIU. And finally, on March 8th, we have our biggest changes. BZ joined at UIU as a sub. Uh, Saints joined Midnight, Sport, 
esports from free agent. Cade became a free agent from Enigma 6. Shino joined Enigma 6 to replace Cade. Uh, Simp has become a sub on United. Attach, as we said, is no longer on phase and is with Evil Geniuses on loan. And Jet Li, Brack, Envoy, uh, Blast, Lacefield, and Parasite. Oh, I'm sorry. Envoy, Brack, and Jet Li are no longer on esports, so a third of the roster, I'm sorry, 60% of the roster was removed, and Blast, Lacefield, and Parasite all joined Midnight Esports. So that was a lot. It's kind of disgusting, honestly, to say, to literally read off names from orgs for that long and just saying they're kicked off a team, they're changed this team, they're a free agent, et cetera, et cetera. It's just unbelievable how these orgs treat some of these players. Is it, is, so are we able to confirm that this is all the org, um, all the org's decisions? Yeah, to my understanding, this is almost all org-based. Uh, again, I have various articles linking for more um, information directly on the particular teams, Accelerate, Gen.G, and Midnight, UIU, and all of them seem to be based uh, from the org itself. Sure. So the thing that comes to my mind first is we have we have a... How do I say this correctly? We have a meta that is never settled. Now, you know, you can try. We, we well, okay, so maybe that's not even the correct way to say it. We have a sort of, we have teams that are never settled. We have never any consistency. Players can never expect something from their organization because ultimately they're just going to let them down. And I don't know what the thought process is between uh, the organizations and the players and how just releasing them at this rapid pace is good for their bottom line. If I'm to think about it from a business perspective, at least in America, so I'm working with a set of boundaries here, a set of parameters. And, you know, I don't know how this works internationally. I don't know how this works in esports. But to my knowledge of American business and how we do things, a company loses the most money when they have an employee who is either who either quits or is fired within the first six months because they never have an opportunity to repay, to reap what they sow, in, in other words. They never have an opportunity to have the employee repay them with their services. They never accumulate that value. They never create that value for the company. And so when I think about this, I think about all of these organizations that are letting these players go that are just shuffling all these teams all the time. And it's like, is that actually helping your bottom line? I can't I can't seem to think that it is because you're you're paying these um paying these players now it may it may come down to the fact that well Jacob all these players are contractors okay well then we're then when you have to think of it in a little bit different different terms right like what does the contract entail and why are we not why are we not hiring players to do their job why are we putting them in a contract that is 
never in their favor, it seems like, because we never have a team who is just settled. We never have a team who is given the chance to grow and adapt to one another, who's given the chance to play alongside of one another. Like if you have problem members, yeah, I understand that. But you're not going to have an entire team of people who just frag out all the time and work well with one another. You, you don't have both. You know, props to the guys who do find both, but chances are you're not going to be able to accomplish everything that you want in a player. You're going to have to take the skills of each and weigh that into your team. Like, you're going to have some great leaders on your team. Okay, and some of the great leaders may not be the best in terms of statistics, but they can lead your team to victory. It's them, like the morale that they give or like the the leadership that they give, the strats that they call. is going to be more important ultimately than the numbers that they put up. Right. I think of Kerrigan in this regard, like he's been through the ringer almost and he's one of the best IGLs, I, I still think, to this day. In Counter Strike. And so the problem that I see is that you're not willing to give people a chance. You're not willing to let them show what their real strengths are. Instead, you're expecting all of your players to just be mindless robots and to win at all costs because I suppose that's what generates the most money for the organization. I don't know. To me, I would think that all of your sponsorships matter most. All of your fans matter most. Because this isn't about the fans either. All of these players who keep leaving and keep being kicked off teams and stuff like that, that's not good from a fan perspective. Because it's like, oh, I like this player. I want to support his team. Oh, he's no longer on that team. I now have this useless jersey that I bought from this organization that I don't want to wear anymore because he's now my favorite player is now on this other team. Like that's kind of a minuscule example, but it's, but it exists. I know for a fact that that, that has had to happen. You know what I mean? It's not it like happened to me. <laughs> yeah. I, you were, you used to be a fan of envious when they were the French lineup, the early French yeah, lineup on the, yeah. Right after Cologne, I saw them play. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. lineup. I love the guys on this team. I love what this org does. I like Hastro as a, you know, a org owner. And, you know, I was also, I was super excited about this awesome, you know, getting into Counter-Strike. So I'm like, I bought an Envy jersey and went to, you know, it's MLG Columbus and I was wearing my jersey and, you know, not long after Columbus, that, that line doesn't even exist. Like, I don't even think Envious has. Oh, they do. They're, but it's like JDM and a couple other guys. Yeah. yeah. It's, an, it's a complete American lineup. It's, it's not just, even. Yeah. It's. And I'm just like, you know, wow, I have this jersey that, that yeah. I, you know, I, I think it's still cool. It's cool memorabilia and stuff like that. I have an esports jersey, but I'm like, I, I'm not supporting those who I bought it to support anymore. Yeah. And it's like, I, I have, I used to be a fan of Luminosity, you know, Fallen and Cold in the original lineup before they were SK. And it's like Luminosity now has a premier team. And it's like they're still good. The premier team is still good, but they're not they're not the championship winning team that I was a fan of that I like to see play. 
Yeah, I mean, again, maybe, maybe we should honestly have an episode just discussing as a topic, you know, yeah, the impact and the consequences and the reasons and how often we see players get thrown around to different teams and shifted left and right and organizations changing this, changing that. It's just there's so much to discuss on it, and it's just such a huge – whether we like it or not, it's a huge component of esports as it is today, which, of course, you and I both agree we wish it wasn't, but sure enough, it is, and we have to learn to react to that and operate knowing that it is, in fact, a reality of esports. Well, it's a sad reality, if anything. And yeah. it's one of those realities that looking forward to the future in esports probably needs to be either adjusted or changed. Yep, absolutely. With that said, we're not going to dwell on that because, like we have mentioned, we probably will make that into our, an entire topic episode. For now, we're going to jump into this week's topic, which is the champion stage from IEM Katowice 2019. We are a couple weeks out, and we apologize for that, but the data is still relevant today to look at and still relevant to look at the teams we can might possibly see in the upcoming events, such as IEM Sydney and then the Berlin Major later on this year. That is, unless all of the teams that were in attendance at this event decide to get rid of their entire lineups and shift them and change them as they seem to do at all times. Yeah, pretty much. We're going to jump right into our quarterfinals. First quarterfinal that we are going to discuss is Ince versus Liquid. Just real quick comments from me on this one. I don't think that anybody expected Ince to make it even this far, but they... And we'll talk about them a few more times as we continue because they obviously made it to the final stage. They surprised a lot of people. Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, there's the joke easy for Ents, but they are still an up and coming team. You know, a bunch of young oh, guys, a, a fresh org, but they really did perform sometimes like it was easy for them. Oh, yeah. That's not a joke, though. Right. They're, they're, they're easy for Ents, apparently, until unless you, it's until you get matched, unless it's Astralis, right? <laughs> yeah. Unless it's the Strauss, but I, I think I'm of all these things. I think I'm less impressed with Ents more than I am disappointed with Liquid. Yeah, me. T- okay, so let's just let's just get into this. We're going to start with Liquid versus Ents. Here we go. Analysis time. Take us off, Jacob. Uh, well, that's okay. So. Elise is probably the no, no, not probably. He is the best player on that team. Agreed. Absolutely, I would hands down agree. I don't think there's any argument there. I guess there are a lot of people who would say that Twists might be a close second. Maybe even Stewie. Uh, I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of indifferent about Stewie. I think when Stewie shows up, he is great, mm-hmm. but he's kind of like a he's high peaks and he's a high peaks and low valley player. Sure. So, Naf didn't show up at all. No, in, he, in this game, he didn't. Nitro was not far behind Naf, right? And it's just, it's just a, you know, maybe Alu was just turned on God mode or something like that because we see he's positive twenty six across both maps and in, in his kill death. 
with a rating of 1.38. So that's really high. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I don't know if they didn't respect Alu or if they didn't, they weren't prepared in the best way that they could have been. But I'm just looking at this and I'm, I can't help but think, man, what it could have been had we just had more consistency out of liquid. I honestly think from watching this game, it's like liquid. We, we talked about it during siege. And I think earlier in like this major liquid did not find their form in this match. They just, they didn't, they look like players in a, in a, a pug or a, a, you know, a matchmaking that they'd never met each other. And they're just playing generic strats because, you know, that's the foundation of the game. They just, didn't look like they're playing off each other at all. They could never get a rhythm going. I don't know what went wrong. Yeah, the thing that I, I notice off of this, like if I look at each map individually, Twists just did not, he just was not awake for Mirage. Right. Is what it looks like. But he like and went then, insane on Inferno. And then he started to turn the carry mode on, the same with the Liege and Inferno, because they knew they, knew they, they had a problem. Right, they and knew. maybe those two found their form together and the rest just still didn't. I don't know. I really don't, I really don't know. So, just a disappointing overall performance from Liquid. Yeah, and it's I, not to say Ents did, you know, did, they, they just won because Liquid was bad. Ents had a great performance, absolutely. But looking at it, I just think Liquid did all the wrong things. There's almost no, almost no way around it. I mean, maybe the map picks weren't that great in Liquid's favor, but I could, I couldn't, I couldn't find myself to believe that Liquid couldn't win Inferno. Yeah, you know, they yeah. they went to overtime, which I guess is something to be, something to consider. But then well, they were, over, they were ten overtime, five in the half, and then they lost five ten in the second to ends. Like yeah. They had, you know, so many rounds to put together just six wins, and they just didn't do it. Well, it's, this is not the same Liquid lineup, but maybe the name just carries that curse. I mean, they but, were second in the league going into this. I know. So, one, okay, so in Inferno, they were decimating really well. And then they were holding A really strong, and it looked like Ents, like it clicked, and they realized that Liquid's B hold was honestly trash. And they just mm -hmm. hit B every single round after that and just won and won and won. They did not look like they knew how to hold B. That or Ents was amazing at execu executing the site. I don't know. I mean, Ents was very good at executing the site, but geez, Liquid did not know how to post you know, post plant, retake it or hold it. I, it just was bad on B site. Yeah. So you'll note that Alu, this is where he shined. He was up 18 at the end of the game, a rating of 1.55 just on Inferno. And so I think you're right. It just started to click. Yeah. Whatever, whatever they decided was going to be the strat. That's what they decided to do. And from what it from what it seems like, 
Alu was just able to get the kills that he needed to. And more than one. That's the thing. More than likely, more than one. Yeah. He was doing at least 98.3 damage around. He was getting at least one kill around, possibly even two. Right. So be- because well, let's see, how many rounds did that Inferno actually go? Like how many rounds would that have been? Uh it went thirty-five. Thirty-five rounds, okay. Yeah. So he yeah. So if that's the case, you look at um Alexi, he has a t- 69 ADR and has almost as many kills as there were rounds. So if you look at Alu with a 98, he almost definitely had two kills and a good number of rounds, like maybe like 30% of them. Yeah. So, and then on Inferno, we just lost Nitro and Naf. I mean, Stewie yeah. was at least almost even, but were, were Nitro and Naf are B? Are B holders? Do we know? I'm pretty sure they were the ones holding B, and Stewie was like the the flex, you know, playing rotator. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't really have words for what happened. I don't. I honestly don't think Liquid do either. I don't know if they can explain what went wrong. I, at the heart of it, it could have just been the NA choke, and that's all there is to it. I I think there that I think that's too easy of a cop out nowadays because there's obviously something fundamentally wrong if we see this this often True. you know what i mean and so i think it is ants the better team i maybe they maybe they are that's the thing they went all the way to the finals right yeah so it begs the question is ants just better than we were expecting them than we were giving them credit for or did liquid really just not show up I don't and know. I, th- I think it's a combination of both. I think so too. So, yeah, that 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 match for any analysts out there, aspiring analysts, that's a good one to dissect. I would give you the task of looking at that one and trying to define exactly what happened between the two teams. Anyway, moving on to our next matchup, Navi versus Phase. Jacob, I know you want to get a crack at this one. <sighs> It's almost insulting because, you know, the memes were flying when Navi beat FaZe because I, th- I think it's clear that I wanted FaZe to win. And just to see them, basically, they put up a fight on Inferno, right. but that was their pick. They should have been able to yeah, win right. a fight and not lose it. And then just to not have any any competition on Mirage is is really upsetting. Yeah. And the, again, the thing is, it's just, I don't even know. Like phase is pretty good at Inferno. Like Navi's not bad at Inferno, but phase is good on Inferno. They should have won it. Yeah. It, I and got phase nothing. Is, and phase isn't bad on Mirage really either. They're all right, but not to get only seven rounds. Well, so I, I look at this, and this is where I had mentioned Nico earlier. Right. And this is where I was disappointed in him because he he just kind of fell off on Inferno. He wasn't he just wasn't all there. He wasn't um he wasn't performing at the top level that I think we know him for. And you know that 
that wasn't as true on Mirage. He was a little bit more even, but the entire team across the board just was not was not playing at their at their top level. Now, the, the, they were they played well. I think the problem that they ran into was Electronic. I think we I think we had talked about this before. The other players of Navi need to step up mm-hmm. if they're if they're going to move forward if they're going to take it. And who do we see? We see Flamey and Electronic. Yes, both, Electronic was insane. Yep, they're both putting up big numbers on their teams, being having high kill differentials than the rest of their team, yep. and being and being able to drag or not drag, but push the team across the finish line, being able to get that high rating in the game and win it for them all. We see Electronic across the two maps getting a 1.49 rating on mirage it was 1.75 he was instrumental yeah he had 112.6 adr it's basically a five versus four at that point if someone has like 110 plus adr because they're just killing one person from the get-go one person is always dead yeah so that that when you put it in that perspective you see electronic is just almost unfair against phase in this matchup now, and that was on Mirage, mind you. Yeah. But Inferno, things were a little bit more balanced. Like we had a closer game. Yeah, but for sure. But ultimately, we had we had two players other than Simple. That's the thing. Across these games, Simple was kind of quiet. Yeah, he was. I I don't know. You know the exact reasoning for that might have been maps because I honestly didn't think it matters. Well, I I think I don't think Simple is that great on um, Inferno. I don't think that's a map where his play style can shine. Mm-hmm. I think that shows a little bit, but you know, at the same time, you know, he didn't perform as well on either of these maps. Yeah, it, just, to me, it's just I still think Simple is the best. Yeah, just. And I think a lot of people might agree with me. I think he is just the best player. But this is what we needed to see. We needed to see if this team didn't have simple show up to the game, could they still pull out a victory? Could they still be fine on their own? And they did. Sure enough, they did. Nonetheless. Sure enough, they did. So Navi taking that quarterfinal up two to zero in pretty. I won't say very easily. Obviously, we had we had a match on Inferno, but Mirage seemed almost non-competitive. Yep. It, yeah. Well, and we'll come back to Navi in their next matchup, talking about if the team shows up, what can they do, and if not, what happens. So we'll get to that in a moment. For now, heading into Astralis versus Nip. What your take on what is your take on this, Jake? Mirage was just kind of a meme. Um, yeah. 15-0 in the first half. Astralis is up. And then, you know, Nip get the pistol round and, like, Forrest does his charade. Did you see the clip of that? Yeah, I, I watched that. That was, that was ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, I don't know who's... I, I mean, sure, celebrate for getting a win. Yeah. For getting a round win, but... 
you're not proving anything. You're yeah, literally I, down 15 to one. Yep. I totally understand what you're saying. I, I was like, I don't know. It was like, I respect Forrest a lot. And I think he's an awesome player. And I love the nip lineup, but like that little like show of like, I don't know. It was just kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. I wasn't a fan of it really. It, to, to me, it's just like, it shows that you're tilted. And yeah. then Astralis can just look at you and just laugh because it's almost unsportsmanlike. Right? They're they're just going to stomp you anyway, and you'll note that they, you know, Astralis saved, let them get another round, and then just won the third. Yeah, Astralis so, literally doesn't care. With <laughs> yeah, it's just, you could win ten rounds in a row and they're going to be fine. Though they are do they have a plan, and that's exactly what it was there. Yeah. I will say it's interesting because that was Nip's pick where they got stomped. And then Australis's pick, it was a really close game. I think that was kind of just like a, a slap in the face to Nick Nip. I think they they recognized that they kind of just embarrassed themselves. Yeah. And so probably just in the green room, you know, in the break room, they were just like, hey guys, you know, like we actually like have to try. Yeah. You know, I, you know what I mean? This is Astralis. And I think again, Nip. I don't know what it is. I just feel like Nip, at least, you know, more recently since they've been, you know, the Nip we all remember, I feel like they just don't almost care about any strats at all. They just kind of like say, let's just do something wonky and frag, which D2 is good for that. So that's probably another part of it. Because mm -hmm. D2, they were just able to do whatever the heck they wanted and shoot people. But, you know, a map like uh, Mirage, highly strategic based. I just don't think they know how to put together strats that are effective, especially against Astralis. You would have thought they would if they picked it. You would have thought, but again, just didn't happen. Yeah. And I think that was honestly kind of metagaming that Astralis picked us too, because Probably. of all the maps, they were just like, we think we can outgun Nip. And, so we're just going to yeah. pick Dust too. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, Nip obviously removing Nuke as the first van because you probably just at this point don't play Astralis on Nuke if you, you can avoid it. Yeah, you just do not let Astralis get Nuke. You just you don't let it happen at this point. Yeah. So I don't know. I will point out you and I, I think, have talked about this where get right just I used to love watching him play, but he just doesn't perform anymore he was bottom of the team both games yeah it's just really disappointing to see dennis was right above him both games too it just seems like forest and res and sometimes lecro are all there is to this team at times i wouldn't i wouldn't think too much of the whole um mirage as being you know we could say all get right was at the bottom but it's not a good example I, right? it, yeah it's not a good example but yeah, I, the point remains. Yeah. I see what you're saying. And it's like. You expect more out of these players. Yeah, for sure. So now it could just be that. Again, Astralis is riding the momentum that they had in the last major and yeah. they just wanted it. And we see Majisk. He he really wanted it on Mirage. Yeah leading the team and you know, he even put up positive numbers on dust too as well. So it's like we, you know, we don't have 
there's nothing to scoff at, you know. Zipnix and Majisk and uh, company were just better. And I think that's all there is to it. You look so. at the final two map numbers, and we have two players on Astralis who are almost up 20 on their kill differential. Yeah, that's actually ridiculous. And then we have, again, we look at Get Right, and he's down negative 20. So it's a question of are NIP able to compete at the top level like they used to be? And I think they are. I just think that we can come back to it all we want again and just say that Astralis is just the best team. Yep. So there's a lot to be said about the status of NIP right now and what we can expect looking into the future with them. But for now, we're going to our third quarterfinal matchup. And that is MIBR versus Renegades. Renegades breaking my heart. Yeah, that was I was disappointed, man. I was really expecting to see a lot out of them. I, I will say, I think MIBR had a little bit of trouble to be in this tournament, finding their form. But geez, they put it together in this game. I think they, uh, you know, they finally showed up, and the major can continue going because I it, it almost seemed like there was a point in which it would have just stopped. You know, like the whole event would have had to been postponed yeah. if MIBR just was not ready. And <laughs> you know, they finally they finally found their form. Ended up losing in the semis, which we'll get to in a minute. But Renegades picking Dust Two against them, and I don't know. I I think that Fur and Cold Zera and Taco are just better fraggers. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. <laughs> I think that was a bit of a foolish choice to pick Dust2 there. It's I, I look at the, the Dust2 statistics, and not a single Renegades player is, has a positive kill differential. Um, yeah. Only one I, of them has a ADR that's above low 50s. Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, they, they... So they start off by removing Overpass. I think that is... A very intelligent That's just correct. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. That's highly intelligent choice for them. And then MIBR removed Nuke. I think that was more of a we're not great at it, and Renegades is pretty good at it. Let's yeah. just get rid of it. And then Renegades does too. I would have gone with Cash almost definitely. I th- I think I would have as well. I'm gonna because <sighs> Renegades doesn't play a lot of yeah. Inferno. So I just take Cash there. I don't think MIBR plays much any cash. So at least even if you don't play a ton of cash and they don't play a ton of cash, you're still better off that way than getting just absolutely outfragged on dust two against MIBR. I just think that was a dumb choice. Maybe they were thinking like against an EU team, maybe that's different because I mean, just generally speaking, our EU teams are more strategic in nature. Whereas our North American teams our Australian teams are um are more frag hungry right mm-hmm. is that is that safe to assume I, w- I would say that's accurate I mean you see this renegades lineup they're pretty aggressive on any yeah. play they make it seems they're not afraid to just sh- go shoot the enemy team or you see like EU like Astralis and Navi they're more methodical when it comes to their plays they're not going to just get a pick or shoot someone because they can or in a position to try Whereas I think Renegades just do. So I think they were thinking that going into Dust 2. That's kind of like my thought process is they picked Renegades mistakenly picked Dust 2 
with the thought that they can just out frag them, mm-hmm. but forgot that MIBR has both the frag potential and the strategic like strategy behind them. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's like, and, that just doesn't, that's just, you just wouldn't do that. Right. And I'm, I will say I am fairly impressed with their performance on train. Um, MIBR is a great team on train and renegades, they put up a fight. It wasn't super close or anything, but they did well. And again, my eyes just always are going back to Gratisfaction. Uh, he is an upcoming star. He performed very well in train. He put up the numbers. I think he looked really comfortable in that map and in that match. So yeah. I'm looking forward to see what he does on this lineup in the future. Interestingly enough, like even though he had six more kills than his colleague Jacob, he actually has a lower ADR, so that might that that's an interesting sort of topic that we can discuss, uh, perhaps at another time because that'll be a lot more in depth. But just to scratch the surface of it, we see stuff like this where Gratisfaction his kills appear to be against players that have already taken damage. Perhaps they've taken nade damage. Perhaps you know they've already taken a few bullets from one of the, one of their teammates gratisfaction his stats say to me that he's sort of like cleanup crew he's a finisher right he's the yeah. assassin kind of player which i think that's accurate because he is their opper and seeing they had some trouble getting they're probably on a good number of ecos they couldn't afford an op he was probably still playing as if he had an op you know back a little bit more over watchy kind of overlooking everything especially on train you know, you sit back, you have the hallways, you have, uh, you know, heaven on top of the trains. He's probably doing all those things, both an AK. So, you know, the execute site, throw a couple of nades, shoot someone, the trades come out, and then he's just on top of train, got some picks or something like that, you know. Yeah. I think that style of him with the ops still was used when he had an AK or an M4 or AUG or whatever. Yeah, so no real surprises here. I think I... I think I expected MIBR to win. I just wanted Renegades to put mo- put up more of a fight. Like, I could have seen Renegades getting a map. Yeah. Like, they should have gotten a map, really. I, I think they should have gotten a map, too. But yeah, Fur came to play, and the rest of the team of MIBR also came to remind everybody that they have a couple majors under their belt, too. Yep. They are top contenders, no doubt. Well, moving on, that is the last uh, quarterfinal for us to discuss. We're moving on to our semi-finals. Let's kick it off with Ents versus Navi. You might note that this is the only game in the champion stage that actually went to three maps. Yeah. Uh, the rest of them have been decided in in just two games. So what that means for the competitive scene, don't quite know off the top of my head. I think it's interesting uh, that we're seeing teams just drop their own map picks consistently in this champion stage. It's like, do people, do our teams really know what the meta is? I think by looking, I could be totally wrong, but me looking at, you get to the playoffs or the champion stage and you have all these two O's. What that says to me is the gaps between these higher tier teams are bigger. So like MIBR might be really high up, but the gap between them and and Astralis is bigger than MIBR's gap with Liquid or something like that. 
I just I think it's yeah I think so you know you'd say MIBR Liquid and Snobby and Astralis are all you know tier one teams sure but that tier one category section is stretched wide amongst a big spectrum because these teams in themselves are pretty separate in that tier one category. I see what you're saying. So you're saying like our top level Astralis is tier one dot one. Whereas our, in this case, let's say MIBR is tier one dot five. You yeah, know, it's at, like at sub-tiers within yeah. tier one or something. And yeah. I think that to me, that's what a bunch of two O's in a playoff like this shows. Because realistically, if these teams are all quote-unquote tier one, like Astralis and MIBR or something like that, it should go to three maps and all three maps should be, you know, 16 to 10 or 16 to 15 or 16 to 14. Uh, 16 to 15 not 16, happen. 16 to 14, <laughs> 16 to 13. All the like close numbers. But we don't see that. We see absolute one-sidedness. And to me, that just says the gap between these Tier 1 teams is stretched pretty wide amongst that level itself. Well, that makes sense in my head because we see that exact sort of thing play out in this series. We see that Ince was the one to pick Train, and it was a close game. Ince ended up winning their map pick. But by the skin of their teeth, 16-14. Right. And again, so I I will say, 16-14 on train, then they go into Navi's pick on D2. Demolished. Yeah, I'm on, after seeing that, I'm under the impression, okay, Ents barely snuck by on their pick. Navi decimates them on their pick. This should be Navi's game. But then it's not. So, I don't know what happened to Mirage. I don't know if you want to hop into that real quick and just see if we can identify what went wrong for Navi. I I think I can pretty much tell you like so we talked about the quarterfinals that Navi had where Electronic and Flamey were there to play. Yeah. We and, look and, at and the rest of the team was, you know, they weren't there to play like those two, but they still showed up. I feel like looking at this, we have our discussion with Simple. Where yeah, it's a simple show. Yeah, where he's there. What happens if Simple plays and no one else does? Well, you lose. And that's what I think we saw here. Uh, that's exactly what we see because Electronic and Flamey, we were giving them all this high praise in that last series. Mm-hmm. On train, Electronic's nowhere to be found. And Flamey is just barely getting by. So we go over to Dust 2, and yeah, they're both positive, but I think that's to be expected on, on their own map pick. Yeah, on a, 16 to on 3, an, right. On an aim matter, simple go kill, you know? Yeah. And he, and he gets them. And I will say, simple is the only one that was positive on every map. Yeah. I, I, again, this series was the simple show. Because we look to Mirage now, and again, we have flaming electronic less so than on train but they just they couldn't put up positive numbers and we really need someone other than simple to put up positive numbers that are making an impact because edward was the only one on mirage to put up a positive kill differential but it was only by one it's like he's just he's getting his kill and getting traded yeah and so it's it's a matter of 
we can't have those sort of games happen um, and expect to win them. You know, it's the games where simple does less and his team does more where they win the series and yeah, in a perfect yeah. in a perfect world obviously everybody like simple would have the simple show but electronic and flamey wouldn't be far behind exactly it, it, it's just not a team it's not a team you to it is a team game you need your team to play to win they can't expect simple go into a match oh don't worry simple drop a 40 bomb we'll be all right you can't go into it that way not saying they do but it almost feels that way when they simple just shows up does everything the guy can do to win, and then the rest of his team just isn't there. Less than 65 ADR when, you know, average is like 86 or something. That's that's not where you want to be. No. I I don't I honestly don't think there's much more to say about this because it's like we kind of already talked about it in their quarterfinal matches. Like what happened and all we see is that across the board ends doing nothing spectacular, nothing special, but just having decent games with the exception of Alu and, you know, the, the dust too, if we took that out of the equation, what, you know, what are the, what are the stats at that point? Yeah. Cause, Cause if we look across all maps, it looks like Alu just had a terrible series. Well, no, it was, it was really just dust too. They didn't do too hot a mirage, but Dust Two definitely hurt because it's it, you can't you can't take those matches that are like twelve or I'm sorry sixteen to like two or something like that and really base get good information of how a whole series went based off of that. No. It'd be smarter to completely take out D two and see how these teams played on Train and Mirage to really identify how the players performed because D two so. is such a one sided thing, so it's hard to say. Which again, that shows Navi, you know, performed incredibly well. They're fragger, they were fragging hard. But as for a skill level thing, it's more smart, I think, to ignore Dust Two in the circumstance. Agreed. So, regardless, Ents taking down Navi in what many would probably expect, like call an upset, and yeah. moving on to the final stage against Astralis, which we will get into their semifinal next. Going up against MIBR, the maps in question were Overpass, Inferno, and Train, never making it to Train, having a close game on Overpass, 16-14. to 14. And then we have, an, again, a, a, a semi-non-competitive. I, I'm, always in, I'm always at odds whether or not uh, if you win a game, you know, with 16 rounds, just in regulation, but your opponent got between seven and ten. Is that competitive or is that non-competitive? Do you think? Um, I I would say ten or less is probably not competitive. Yeah, because maybe ten, but you just think about that. Okay, so if they get only ten, a way you can look at it is they only got like five in each half. And think about ending a half ten to five. That's not good. Yeah. Any any way you look at it. So I think saying sixteen to ten is like they just weren't there. Not not competitive, but certainly yeah, 
you know, not the, t- the level that should have been playing at. I would agree with you. So the way I think about this, and maybe you think about it differently, but at least before the economy change, um, when you win your pistol round, um, generally speaking, you should win the next two because the next round, the team that lost is generally going to save. That's not so true anymore because the right. Yeah, but they're generally going to save. And then the third round, you just have better weapons and better equipment across the board. Your 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 equipment value is far higher. So I think that I think ten is the point in which I say that a game was non-competitive because that means you probably lost both pistols, or and if that's the case, you strung you know, three rounds together off of that. Yeah. I mean, I guess with the pricing change, how you can really buy on round two, even after losing the pistol or round three per se, I think that's another reason to say 10 wasn't competitive because they have with the money change, you have more opportunity to put rifles in your hands. Mm-hmm. So realistically you should be winning more rounds, but if you're not, that's, it kind of says, you know, they lost more gun rounds than they definitely should have. Then I was having a discussion the other day. This could actually be a topic in itself. You know, does the pistol round make a difference anymore? Does it really have the impact it used to have on a game? We saw Navi on the last map against uh, Enz. I, I think they won almost every pistol round in those matches, if not the majority, and they didn't win that series. So I, I would say the pistol rounds just they don't carry as much weight as they used to. They don't guarantee, you know, those three fo- those two following rounds from winning it. Now it's you get the pistol, okay, you might get the second one, and then everybody's gonna buy up. I would actually disagree because the way that I see it, so in, in this game, for example, on um Inferno that we're talking about MIBR versus Astralis. Astralis did win their T-sided pistol. And then the next four rounds after that, going to the second half, they again won the pistol and then won the next round after that, but ended up losing the third. So the thing that I, that I see happening is you win the pistol. You generally speaking, win that next round, even if they bought, even if they bought, if they saved, Better, better chances for you. You win that second round, and then what happens? Your third round, the team that's on the back end, that's is on the back foot, they buy in, and if they lose any amount of players and don't make any, don't take any control of the map, what do they do? They save. And so I, I think I, I actually disagree with you. I, I think. The pistol round is even more vital than it than it was before because winning that pistol round helps you not have to worry about whether or not you will have to save in the event of catastrophe round three. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I could agree with that, but I, I just still think the pistol round. Okay, maybe it's just diff- it's beneficial in different ways because again, 
the pistol round, it was almost like guarantee three rounds, but now you can realistically buy the following round or at least round three. So you don't get that nice buffer when you win the pistol. So maybe it's just better in a different way than originally. But I, I think it is worth noting that, you know, just because you win the pistol, I, okay, put it this way. I don't see teams winning the, the round after pistol round nearly as much as they used to since the the money changed. Like, you'd see a team win pistol, win the following round, probably win the third. But now it's like you win the pistol, following round, okay, they could just lose it all the same. It just it feels like the pistol is less of a guarantee for X amount of wins. Well, we won't dig too much into that just because it is a topic that would require uh, extensive data and such. Yeah, and for we'll, sure. I we'll think we'll revisit one. that. That'll be a good one uh, in the future. But again, we had we had a semifinal that we had a competitive first map and then a non-competitive second map. I don't think there's much uh, in terms to discuss here for coming out of the gates and doing his best on overpass uh, to get his team across the finish line. Taco not not doing well this series. No, definitely not. I don't know if he spent too long on NA playing with their strats or something, but he did not look good this series. I, I you know, I think that's just one of the one of the qualms that happened with Taco, you know, being on liquid and then being transferred back and stuff like that. And you know, this whole this whole lineup, even though they've had some time to prepare, you know, this lineup had some troubles. You know, they all split up and they had some shuffles going on in the lineup. And, you know, obviously we can remember Tarek and uh, Stewie being on the MIBR lineup. But they finally came back around. And it's like, you know, there's going to be some tension there. And it's going to take some time before they can come back and really, really be the be team that, that tournament to be. winning team, right? Yeah. 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 Then, I Go ahead. I was just going to say, and then just to, just to kind of like, Wrap wrap it up on Astralis' side, Majisk. I yep. think he wants it more than anybody. He did. He does absolutely. I agree. So, I I've got not much more to say there. I think probably in a close second is Dupree. You yeah. know, we we know what happened with his uh, father, and I think he I think he wanted this probably more than Majisk. It was a, it was um, a drive, man. Yeah. So, good games from Astralis again, um, propelling them to the finals stage. And honestly, if I was to be disappointed with anything, it was the lack of competitiveness in our finals for the major. Yeah, Astralis I don't know take, what it was. Yeah, Astralis taken down ends 2-0. to zero. First map on train. You, you'll note that people respect Astralis's nuke. Removed yeah. again. Yeah. First thing immediately. So no chance at all for that to for that to come up in the map pool and just be a basically a free loss. <laughs> yeah, free, free yeah. loss. And so they're respecting it, but ends picking train and then. This is right on the cusp, right? This is right on that right on that edge for me where it's like 
is this game actually competitive at all? And you'll know that this is this is like an outlier to my theory. Ants actually won both pistols on this map. They won their T-sided pistol and then won the round after that, and then lost the next three, and then the half was basically just given to Astralis. And then on their CT pistol, they actually won three in a row. Hmm, so they won, their, they won their pistol and then won the next two after that. So this is an exception to my thought. And so that it's it's interesting to sort of see the exact opposite happen. You know, there, there's some, I think there's some talking points to what you were talking about earlier. But my point in bringing that up is Astralis has the ability to take what they're given and run with it. Yeah. And adapt. I, yeah, absolutely. I, and I was going to say, like, why did Ents pick Train? Because Ents is a good Train team. And I'm thinking Astralis is actually pretty dang good on Train too. But then I'm like, is there really a map you can pick that Astralis won't destroy you on? Like, I, I don't, I can't really think of a map where they're just bad at it. Maybe Cash, but. Like, I literally can't think of a map that I'm, I feel safe picking against Astralis. Yeah, I. their win rate on train is 64%. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, now, you might note that almost all of their maps have a high win percentage. Um, Nuke being the, I believe it is the highest. Yeah, being the highest at 76.9% win rate. Their lowest actually being cash, so... Right, and they've removed that almost every single time. Yeah, so even if the possibility was there to play it, uh, Australis just take it out, so they, they yeah. don't want to play it. Uh, yeah, and, and again, I think Ents is great on train, because if you watch that train game, it felt like uh, Ents could have actually won that game, or got closer to winning it because there were so many times where they'd get a pick or something or light, you know, hurt everyone on their team on Astralis and then not capitalize on it. Or they'd make some stupid mistake and uh, their plan falls apart. Like there were so many times where you see, a, it's one of those things where you see the play and you're like, Oh, they already got an Astralis player down. And someone else is lit. They got this round the back and then they do something really wrong or they go to the wrong site or they just push for no reason and they just lose. And it's like, you guys should have had that round. What what did you do that for? And I felt like a lot of the rounds felt like that watching Ents play. Yeah, it's Ents actually made the best decision in terms of a map pick in train. It it is statistically Astralis' worst map, which sort of seems like an oxymoron considering that they're above 50% win rate on it. But I don't know, just to look at the statistics, you know, we have seven just outperforming four out of the five players on Astralis. And that's still not enough. Zipnix had the highest rating in the entire game, but then all of his teammates were just not present. They were average or below average in their game stats, so... Yeah. Again, just just the overall overall consistency of Astralis is, I think, what pushed them across train 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, they just, they just are, they feel like a hive mind sometimes, dude. Like, they all know what each other's thinking and doing at all times. They work so hand in hand. They work, they play off each other so perfectly. Honestly, you watch Astralis and it's it sounds really dramatic or too ridiculous but the way they play is almost artistic when you mm-hmm. see what they do because they just do everything so masterfully it, it like they'll they'll peek something like they jiggle peek like every corner and to have the discipline and ability and just skill to do that almost all the time and know when to do it is astonishing like I play, I don't jiggle peek almost any corner unless I'm like, oh, there's probably an opera here on banana or something like that. These guys are literally jiggle peeking every corner, so they're prepared for any fight. They'll take a fight, shoot, you know, shoot the person, and then back off. They're not concerned about getting the kill, and then they'll re-peek later and kill them when it's opportune. They just so skillfully handle every situation they're up against. I I don't think there's anything I can add to that to really express that again they're just the better team you know we see the better team here in this series and we look at across both maps that's just exactly the case you know we don't have anybody on ents positive on train and then inferno was just even worse so train was right on that fence of being competitive, not quite fully. And then Inferno was boring to watch. I'll I'll just, I'm going to throw shade and just say that, you know, you could have turned off Inferno and not, not been upset about it. Like there, there just was nothing to watch in that second game. They just complete decimation. And it's, again, it's just weird because I don't want to watch pros play deathmatch. It's just not, yeah, right. And there's just nothing to it. Astralis just shoots everything and kills all of them. And again, I think this goes back to, you know, my theory of the tiers within the tier the top tier because it's like Ents did really well against the team the teams they played. And, you know, sometimes it was competitive, sometimes it wasn't, but they got through it. And then they play Astralis and they they're just picked apart like they're nothing. They basically were nothing. Yeah, it's insane. Like the the gap between like Astralis is in their own tier, really at this point, and, and it's just I don't. I honestly think it might just be time before they just stop being the top team. I don't think it's going to be the next major. We'll see a couple of roster changes or someone put together some strats and beat them. I just think it's going to be it's the waiting game until they're not on the top of the top of their game anymore. I, I personally, I would not be surprised if we go to Berlin and just Astralis wins that one too. At this point, because it just, yeah. it just feels like they are just leagues above everybody else. They, they do. And uh, so I'll say this um, quickly during when they announced Berlin, the date of it, I believe, is early September, late August, somewhere in there. Or I believe somewhere in that effect, a lot of a lot of professional players are upset about the date. And that is because August is the designated month for all leagues where no games happen. Absolutely. 
no competitive CS is to be played in August. They all players get a break and they relax. Okay, so a lot of people are disappointed about that. Well, that was an issue last year when London happened, and that was the first week of September. And who won that? Astralis. Mm. So I don't think they are at all hindered by the August break. They might not even take an August break. Everyone else does, and they just keep on playing. So I think Berlin is, again, the same way London was, and it's just going to even further influence Astralis' ability to win the next major. I, you know, maybe I'm speaking from a place where I just don't, I don't have compassion for it or don't understand, but to be able to compete in multiple million dollar events a year, I don't feel like complaining about it is where you want to be. You know, maybe, maybe some changes, like make some requests or something about it, but yeah, <laughs> you know, your average Joe is not going to be able to play in that event. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like that's not a hill worth dying on. Yeah, I mean, I could understand where it's like, okay, they go through a lot throughout the year. Like, they play mm-hmm. so much CS. And it's like, okay, we all agree August is when we just well, relax. See, that's, and to that's put a major thing. right after that is kind of a I lot. I hate to cut you off, but it's like, you don't have to play every event. That's true. That's another Astralis thing. doesn't. They don't. They just go to the ones that are the most money and win them. Yeah, they go to the big ones. Also, I was looking at the and statistics. And they, they win them all. Yeah, they do. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I was looking at um, an article, and I think the highest paid, or like the most earnings for any Counter-Strike player to this day is Zipnix, pulling in almost $1.5 million. That doesn't surprise me. He's good, one. He's won a lot of tournaments and it's like, Oh, Oh my goodness. The thing is they win the tournaments that matter. It's like you talk about all these other players need a break. They don't need a break because they're not at another tournament every week. Literally. Well, yeah. And the tournament the after the major, the following week, they were already boot camping again. I saw it on Twitter and they're like smiling. They're just getting at it, practicing. They love the game they play and they know that in their head, they know they are the best. And they've been telling them that, themselves that since they formed Astralis and that mentality has just further pushed them to say, yeah, let's practice. We know we're the best. Let's stay there. And that's what they do. And they're going to take it all, in my opinion. Like, everybody thought, like, the Fnatic era was big. The SK era was big. This is going to blow it out of the water, in my opinion. I agree. I think the best f- possible Fnatic or SK lineup is still not Astralis. I just, I don't think that, I don't think that fanatic lineup or that SK lineup could take on Astralis today. I'm looking at the past five majors, sir. The E-League major 2018, they dropped the ball on, but we're talking first at E-League major 2017, third at the PGL major Krakow group stage. Okay, sure. At E-League major 2018, first at the face it major. First at IM Cadavy. Oh my gosh. The past five majors, four of them 
have been in top four. Three of them wins. The fat the past five total lands, including major, four firsts and one second. They are winning all the time. Yeah, I mean they're they're starting to look like that old nip where they're eighty six and zero. They're thirty four and zero on nuke right now. It's uncanny. It's yeah, just, I don't, I don't know. There's no words for it. They're just the best team, and if you say otherwise, uh, uh, you're wrong. I, there is no competition, and that's just, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a podcast about how much we love Astralis. This is just recognizing that. You could do yeah. all the analysis you want, and you're going to come up with Astralis is the best. This, the same result. The same. There is no way you can change the equation to make it the outcome any less true. It's like Astralis is just simply the best. And I'm going to be honest with you. The thing that I think, and again, we'll get into this more in a separate episode. The thing that I think makes Astralis just far and above the best is they have had the time to mold themselves into this team. You look at all these other teams in professional esports, how many of them are like Astralis where they have the time to take each of the players and say, this is your role. Do your best at this role. And what do they do? They perform. They are given the tools that they need to succeed they have the will, they have the drive, and they have the teammates to support them. They don't have to worry about the organization cutting ties with them. Astralis, they they own themselves. You know, Zipniks and Dupree and uh, Device are all shareholders in that, I, I still believe. I think, I think they all are all still. I think but, you're right. But they don't have that corporate head over them that's deciding what they can and can't do. They have the ability to just say, we're going to take this team and we are going to make them into something special. We're going to, we are going to be something special and they've proven that. Yep. That's all there is to it, man, for sure. And you know, the changes they do make, it's totally it, like when uh Kirby, he was just like, you know, I did it. I won the major. I want to start from the bottom now. That's what I'm going to try to do. And so he went to an all Danish lineup you know, he 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 wanted to work with the team to get him to the top because Astralis had done it. And that was, you know, a really, you know, everyone agreed upon it. It was a really career-based decision. It wasn't like, all right, Kirby, you're not doing good. Get out of here. So, again, if, the cha- if a change happens among Astralis, it's strictly just for the person's career, what they want to do, what they want to see happen in, in their work within Counter-Strike. Yeah, it's, to me, it's, there's just not much more to say. So we're going to come to a close here just by saying congratulations to Astralis again. Um, you guys are the best. And you want to see more. I think we all want to see more of what you guys can offer us uh, to the stars, right? And we're going to follow along right alongside you. You may not be our first choice, but know that we expect you to win. And so keep carrying that torch. 
And congratulations, especially to Dupree. We know how much this tournament means to him and uh, to his family and to all of his fans. Uh, this is a big deal and a big stepping stone for him uh, and for for his family, for his future. We know there are a lot of people who are very proud of you. Closing up shop here on this episode of The Nade Stack. If you enjoyed the content that we're producing, if you enjoyed this episode, this is also a pretty long one. I don't know how we're getting dragged into these uh, one hour and 30 minute plus episodes, but hopefully you've ridden along with us until the end. If you did like it, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell icon as well so you can get notified when our episodes go live. The plan is I have taken up the mantle of trying to get them uploaded the night before uh, Tuesday so that they can be scheduled to go live uh, Tuesday around noon. So I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty neutral time to have them set up and shipped out. So be prepared for that to become the normal case in the future. If you'd like to follow us in alternative means and other social media, we are on Twitter. You can follow us at the Nade Stack. Again, that is at the Nade Stack on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, you'll be notified there when new episodes are released, uh, news that we retweet, things that we uh, think we ought to cover, look into covering, and other such items that we get our hands into. If you'd like to follow me, I am also on Twitter at TNS Haterade. That is, again, at TR. TNS Haterade. Uh, you can see all the projects that I'm working in, uh, including the Nade Stack, as some other. If you're into uh, MTG Finance, uh, Magic the Gathering Finance, and any other uh, card game uh, speculation, you can follow me there. Other finance uh, topics, we can talk about that too. Politics, all game, other projects. Let's do it. So I've got my uh, hands on a lot of cookie jars, trying to follow a lot and follow along uh, with this podcast. Soup, Christian. Where can we find you? You can follow me on Twitter at CDM96. I do a lot of posting of uh, different 3D development, animation, uh, different art and graphic design, things like that. So I am like to delve in that as a hobby. Um, it's a good time. I do a lot of little side projects that I find fun, and I post those occasionally. So you can follow me again at CDM96. More content is on the way and in the works. We are thinking about uh, setting up a stream service uh, at the Nade Stack uh, just via via YouTube streaming Counter-Strike and perhaps Call of Duty and Rainbow Six Siege as well. If you would like that, let us know. Uh, we wanted to branch off into to more content creation areas so that we can we can build our brand, build our product in the best way possible. Is there anything else from my co-host before we sign off for the day? Just congratulations again to Astralis, and we hope everyone enjoyed the Katowice 2019. This episode officially brings it into our very long major month, which I'm excited we got to do. We got to sit down, focus on major 2x month. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was a lot. Just you know, it was great though. We got to kick off our fresh new podcast with Katowice 2019 and the Siege Invitational. It's been an awesome ride so far. I'm just really excited for our, our upcoming episodes when we can relax a little bit, focus on some cool topics we're really excited about since we don't have to worry about any majors to cover. I'm really hyped for the next couple episodes. Agreed. So I think next week what we want to try and cover is the gentleman's agreement. We've brought it up a couple times already in our news topics. I think uh, for our next episode, that's what we're going to cover in more depth and more 
more devotion to it, looking at it deeper, seeing what it actually might do to esports as a whole. If we looked at it subject objectively and said, you know, ask some questions about how, how does this actually affect the game? How does this affect the player who the viewer who's just viewing at a competitive level? You know, like we'll get into that. We'll dive deeper into that and we're going to save it for the next episode. Be sure to keep on the lookout for that ep- when it comes out. We are moving into a close now. We're going to wrap up this episode again. Just thank you uh, for giving us the listen, giving us the opportunity to, you know, perhaps be your entertainment in the car or uh, somewhere else when you're doing chores, something along those lines, or while you're getting your work done. You know, we want to build this brand and as far as we want. Oh, goodness gracious, stumbling over my words now. We want to build this brand in any way that we possibly can. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with your friends about this podcast, getting other people involved in it, things, you know, join our Discord as well. We got a link in the description box. Come talk to us. We're going to be here. We're going to be around. Just build community. Let's let's get some people uh, going, and we want to we want to provide this for you, ultimately. With that being said, for Christian Soup Dab, I'm Jacob Haterade Bailey. You've been listening to The Nate Stack. We'll see you next time.